Get ready to rock radio. Music you want to hear. Now we started off with uh, the track Are You Ready to Rock? And uh, from Are You Ready to Rock to Get Ready to Rock, we say a very warm welcome to guitarist extraordinaire Michael Schenker. Hello, Michael. Yeah, hi, David. Ah, uh, nice to talk to you. And uh, we played the track from the 30th anniversary concert recorded back in January. Um, this, this, Michael, is almost like an update of Live at the Budokan. Do you see it that way, or do you see this as really yeah. a, a reinstatement of the Michael Schenker group sound? Yeah, it's kind of, a, I don't know, both. Um, it's, it's like, uh, you know, n- now and then. I mean, um, there's also like a 30, there is an, another record, there's another uh, DVD out from actually 30 years ago. It came out this year too with Cozy Powell and drums which is kind of interesting because you can kind of compare (laughs) of what has happened uh, you know uh, in the last 30 years but anyway it is uh, 30 years of MSG you know um, musical freedom and um, personal development and do you see the last couple of years or so as the start of a new era for you yeah, and the band? Definitely. For some reason, you know, I mean, MSG was created for musical freedom and personal development. And, uh, you know, I, I always say I, I never really understand why I ended up on stage because I really never really, it, it's not really my cup of tea. It has never really been. But um, in the last two years, kind of, I'm starting to enjoy myself on stage. So maybe I was preserved. Um, you know, stuff to come up in the near future. And, um, you know, and so the last 30 years maybe were just there for me to, you know, to develop and to to get my 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 stuff out, all the stuff that I wanted to release, um, um, creative things, uh, anything that came up uh, on a, you know, musical level. And um, I think I've experienced, exper- experimented enough <laughs> And so, you know, it seems like it's uh, something something new is happening. This is always great, isn't it, for a performer like you? You've had a great career, but it's almost like reinvention. But, you know, um, you're finding new strengths, it sounds, you know, from uh, appearing on stage more recently. Yeah, I guess maybe I've been preserved, you know. <laughs> um, as maybe the real hard work is yet to come. Yes. But in fairness, I think we should say that you've always had good front men on vocals, haven't you, in the band? And that, to some extent, for a guitar player... It takes the pressure off you in a way, doesn't it? You can just focus on your guitar playing. Yeah, I mean, like, Gary has been a great singer. And, uh, I mean, you know, like, I never really focused on on any uh, commercial success, really. I just, um, you know, I looked for a singer who I thought had a great voice and uh, would be suitable. And then I just went from there, really without much expectation. Now, look, take us back to when you were starting out in music. This was right back in the 1970s. I mean, what music were you listening to as a teenager, presumably in Germany? You know, yeah. what, what bands were sort of switching you on to music? Well, you know, I started when I was nine listening to Shadows, Beatles, Rolling Stones, anything that was on the radio. But it was not until I was 14 when I heard the, 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 when I heard the, 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 what people can do, when I heard what people can really do with the distorted guitar sound like Jeff Beck, uh, Leslie West, Eric Clapton, um, Jimmy Page, you know, mm-hmm. that was my jump start. Uh, that was it. I knew what 
who I was. Yeah. You could see that it was possible, really. Yeah. Yeah. Have you always been a bit of a, a guitar? I mean, I call it a technician, but you, have you been as much into the what um, tones and electronics you can get out of a guitar? You know, the, the sounds you can make as much as an actual craftsman playing the guitar. You know, well, have, have you been drawn to like things like distortion? I, I don't. Well, I'm not really that much of a technic, uh, uh, technician anyway. Yeah. But uh, you know, I just love the um, what the original distorted guitar gives or lets me do with it. Um, then you just be yourself, and and with the help of the jump starts, you take it your own way. Yes. And were you playing guitar from quite an early age? You mentioned you were listening to music at the age of nine. Um, and obviously Jeff Beck was coming along with Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page. When did you think you could pursue him as a career in music? Well, uh, I think maybe probably around when I was 14, when, when this distorted guitar, when I knew what I can do with it, I knew it. I knew that was my field, and, and that's why I wanted to be. I was only interested in music that had great guitarists in them, you know, uh, even when I was nine years old, I think subconsciously or something like that, um, I was, you know, it was already rooted in me. I, I already, you know, it was always guitar. It had to be guitar, um, a great guitar playing in a song in order for me to listen to or, or that's what I was looking for. And, and how did you start learning, Michael? Was it um, was it something that you were picking off, you know, picking up off records, listening to music, or, or did you have any formal training yeah, at that time? Listening to music, I was always uh, um, interested in figuring out things from from a tape recorder. But uh, my brother was, I think, sixteen years old. He asked me. He knew that I was doing that, and even though I was only ten years old or, or nine. Uh, he asked me to learn things for him and then show him when he comes back from work. And so <laughs> I kept busy. Because I should mention to people, if they don't know, of course, you appeared with the Scorpions on a couple of albums, early albums, and you were only about 16 or 17. I was 15, actually, on the Fif Lonesome Co. album. 15. I mean, it's yeah. a really young age. Yeah. Now, why didn't that work out for you? Why didn't you remain? You had the bond, obviously, with your brother. And I they think the Scorpions, yeah. um, you know, I was, I see myself more like a jump start for the Scorpions. Yes. And uh, it seems like I keep coming back, helping out here and there. But I was never really meant to be to be part of their whole design or what their assignment, you know. They, uh, the Scorpions, I think it was, uh, Matthias was the best suitable person for this because he may be, be pulling more on, on the same string as the others. For me, I had a different assignment, you know. For mm. me, it was more like I had a personal, um, you know, like I had to go another way. And uh, it was not meant to be for me. Uh, I had to do the things I did. Get ready to rock radio. UK fans will remember your time in UFO, Michael. Now, how did you come to join them after the Scorpions? And, and what were the reasons for your departure from UFO? Well, we toured together. Uh, the Scorpions and UFO, and they didn't have their guitarists with them, and they showed up, and we were already sound-checking the Scorpions. And we had a big uh, PA system uh, in those days. We just bought one, or, or I don't even know where it came from, but <laughs> we had one anyway. <laughs> and uh, 
So the decision was either we cancel or or I play in both bands the same you know in in one night. Uh, we did we decided that I play in both bands. I rehearsed you know as much as I could with uh, with Pete uh, showing me the chords and you know some of it was I was already familiar with because some of them were kind of covers and. Uh, so I basically ended up playing with the Scorpion and with UFO. <coughs> um, we did that a couple of times. Then the guitarist showed up again. And so we, we carried on the tour, me with the Scorpions and Bernie Marston with UFO, and uh, until the, the, the tour was over, and then UFO asked me to join. Uh-huh. And I always had told them to the Scorpions that uh, if an English band would ever ask me to join, I would, because... Um, you know the the music that I was interested in came from from me came from England, and in Germany people weren't really interested in that kind of music. So I wanted to be in a surrounding where people understood what I was doing, and and you know, and therefore they didn't in Germany. I wasn't even management allowed. It was kind of I was developing so fast, and I put so much energy to a forward, you know, kind of emotion. Um, it was the the um, you know being in England with an English band was was uh, basically exactly what I wanted. It's marvellous hearing you say that actually, and I'm sure it applies to a lot of um, European musicians because they're influenced by, as you say, and as you were by uh, UK uh, musicians and bands. When would you say that you received wider recognition in your own country, Michael? Because it's an irony, that, isn't it, that you find fame in, in the UK and outside of Germany. Well, yeah. When did your home country wake up to Michael Schenker? I think as soon as I joined UFO. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because yeah. presumably you went back and toured in Germany. Um, well, it was... All of a sudden, everybody was interested. All the media, the you know, magazines and stuff like that. So I became very popular in in very short time. Yes. So from a career point of view, it was a marvelous experience. It raised your profile. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I wasn't really focusing on it, but that's what happened. To the point when we had a hit in America, I was only 21 years old, and all of a sudden I got scared and I ran away. <laughs> that's when I realized, you know, that that something, you know, big has happened. Now, what happened about the, when you left UFO then, and, and this is just before you formed your first sort of Michael Schenker group, I mean, what what, what were the circumstances there? Did you, did you feel you just needed to develop your music more? Oh, no, that basically, uh, Phil was a bit of a tighter, and, uh, you know, I watched it a few times, I said to him, if he would ever hit me, I would leave the band, so he wanted to check it out. You hit me and I left the band. It was as simple as that. Oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> you don't, uh, yes, you, you expect that sort of thing to happen in uh, school bands, but not in a... <laughs> an, an, <laughs> uh, but as you say, it's all part of life's rich uh, yeah, tapestry, right. as we say, isn't it? Yeah. Now, um, the classic period, really, for the Michael Schenker group was the early 1980s. Now, what happened after UFO? What were you thinking at that time... Did you really want to form your own band? I think subconsciously, but I was tempted to join Aerosmith. I was tempted to join Ozzy Osbourne. And to te- I was tempted to rejoin the Scorpions, but I don't think it was meant to be. Something inside of me, I was tempted, and then I went like, wait, Michael, you want to go your own way. You need to do uh, other things. And, and so 
it was like a pull in and out, pull in and out, until finally I, you know, knew, okay, I have to do the Michael Schenker group. You can email us, radio at getreadytorockradio.com. What we tend to forget, or what fans tend to forget, Michael, is that in the period after the Michael Schenker group, and you had great success there, I mean, you, you, you were touring over the world and you released several albums, um, not only with Gary Barden, but with um, Robin McCauley. Yeah. Yeah. And um, into the 90s, I think you did slip off uh, people's radar, certainly in the UK. And yet, if you go into your sort of back catalogue now, you realise there's a wealth of great albums. I mean, I've done this in, in the last uh, 12 months or so. And um, we might call them your wilderness years as far as the music went, but you were still churning out these quality albums. And I'm referring specifically here, Michael, to um, the series of albums called Thank You. Uh-huh. Uh, what was the inspiration for these? They're acoustic, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, this is all part of it. You know, this is all part of the Michael Schenker group and Michael Schenker life. Uh, um, you know, to be creative on all of these different, in all these different ways, uh, electric instrumental album, acoustic instrumental album, blah, 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 which I wouldn't have been able to do with any of the other bands. And so these are the things I'm talking about. They had to be, you know, done. And, uh, you know, also, um, yeah, I, I mean, with UFO and uh, um, all the way up to and MSG, all the way up to ninety or ninety one, um, you know, I never actually earned any money either. And so, just coincidentally, I found out. I mean, I decided to split from the from the machine, from the system. That's why I disappeared, and uh, and I opened my own company and. All of a sudden, I was getting paid. <laughs> uh-huh. Makes a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> kind of introduced to the possibility that I should have, you know, earned a lot of money, but I didn't. But anyway, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And uh, as soon as I did my own thing, I was doing why, uh, fine. And I, I did that for the next 12 years. And, uh, and so we just went. It was a very learning experience all of these different um, times and extreme different situations that I have uh, experienced. From the, the 1990s, really, you were less high profile. And then, of course, into the millennium, and I think you did have more personal problems, didn't you? Now, are those all behind you now? Well, you know, like life is about um, development, um, going through things to experience in order, for whatever reason, to, um, you know, to, to develop. And uh, without any friction, there would be nothing to develop, you know. So in, in, I see it more like um, whatever happens, happens for a reason. Like, you know, everybody um, has their own custom-made set of circumstances, you know, to, to, um, to, that they are being um, confronted with going through life. And I guess we, we are you know, maybe developing towards our highest potential, but there has to be an arena where you have to do some work or where you have to be confronted with certain situations in order to maybe strengthen yourself. Like I said, uh, everybody has its own um, arena, you know, with mm. different kind of challenges. Now, do you think that affected the music during that period when you were having... Um 
you know, things were happening in your personal life, I suppose, really. Did that ever impact on the music? I had a really great life so far. So I don't really, I look at, at what we call so problems. I, I'm, I'm looking at um, crisis more like, uh, um, you know, like uh, um, something where you get strength from. And it, it's kind of important even. And uh, I ha I'm a very positive person, but of course, you know, when the, when the fight sometimes gets very hard, of course, you know, you get frustrated, and and that's the the, the whole thing is that, you know, we I don't choose the things, you know, I mean they happen externally where people decide they they want to you know bother me or whatever the circumstances are, but we have to deal with it, you know, every person in their own way you know, with their own set of circumstances. And so I don't know if, you know, I think everything affects everything. So I don't know if it has, in what way it has affected me or, you know, it is what it is, basically. Um, that's, that's all that I can say. It's everything is what it is. Get ready to rock radio, music you want to hear. Now, at the same time, Michael, we shouldn't forget that you're making some excellent band albums. This was round about 2000, 2001. We could mention The Unforgiven and Be Aware of Scorpions. But it was noticeable with these albums that the band lineups were usually different every time. I mean, was this something, is this just a characteristic, really? We shouldn't read too much into it, that you were using different people because that suited you really at the time. Um, because it seems to me that the core Michael Schenker sound is, is really what's on this live album, which is Gary Bard and, you know, yourself and Chris Glenn. Yeah, uh, you, know. You, know, you, you, take, you take Klaus away from my brother Rudolf. You, yes. You don't really have the Scorpions, you know. And um, it's the character, it's between, you know, the uh, two elements, the vocals and the guitar. Um, if you take Robin, if you put Robin in, take uh, uh, um, Gary out, then it sounds different. Different but dynamic, yeah. Same, but yeah. I do the same. Now, in this uh, 30th anniversary tour, you know, you've been around the world with this. Um, the, the album's recorded in Japan. But you have used um, different musicians. I think that was a feature of the tour that on the UK leg, I saw that um, last December, you had um, Chris Glenn and uh, Chris Slade. Now, in Japan, you had Simon Phillips and uh, Neil Murray, who right. obviously appeared on those um, early 80s albums. Was, was there any reason to chop and change? Did you just think it... <laughs> or was it, was it a scheduling thing? <laughs> Nothing goes perfect. <laughs> you know? oh. It kind of seemed like, okay, Simon Phillips, all of a sudden I heard Simon Phillips available, and I went like, wait, Simon Phillips is available. Let's do... It's, let's do something. It's the 30th anniversary. This is perfect. Let's get this on on DVD. I mean, that would be great to do this. So, but Simon was not available for the you know for the whole year. He was only available for that particular part. And then, um, you know, we we ca carried on. And then all of a sudden, and then because I have had so many musicians, I kind of could pick and choose, but only people who are available. You know, and so it just worked out the way that Chris Slade was uh, very suitable. He was available and very suitable for the European market, and Carmen Eppes uh, for the American market. So I was very lucky at the same time 
if you understand what I mean, mm. I, I actually had the best choices available at the right time in the right places. You know, with the live CD, it sounds great. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it was done in Japan, and uh, Japanese people are very, very good in doing that kind of stuff. And uh, <laughs> we were kind of lucky that, you know, we had one, one shot, one day of recording, and... Uh, and it turned out great, and we had Michael Foss, who did a you know, great film. Oh, yes, we know Michael, yes. And, uh, you know, so it all worked out well. You know, when I play my, my solos, I'm in a different world, you know, and uh, I call it like a little bit the world of adventures. And, uh, and they're not, you know, no, no lead break is exactly the same ever, you know, and so it's always a little bit different, a little bit different, and... Um, you know, you never know when some some magical moment comes up, you know, but the people who understand what I'm doing, I can hear them when the magic moment comes up. And I know when that happens, and then sometimes you hear, like, that noise in the audience. Wow. He noticed or she noticed something that I noticed that I didn't mean to do, but it happened by accident or something like that. So these are the moments that I ha I'm having fun with when out of the blue you do something that is like, wow, that was great, you know? Thanks, Michael, for your time. And yes, best of luck with your projects in the future as well. Thank you very much. Th thanks for talking to Get Ready to Rock. Thank you.